0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to County Morgue Puppet Theater. I'm your host, Dickie Fiorentino, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mrs. Madley Badger. In this episode, we'll be exploring deadly disasters of the Victorian world. Let's start by...
1: Mmm, that is delicious. Hello, friends. Great to be with you, Dickie.
0: The feeling's mutual, Mrs. Badger. I see you brought your chimpanzee with you.
1: Well, I don't drive, you see.
0: And that... <laughs> and whatever, whatever you're sipping there sounds delicious and noisy. Oh, it is. It is. Although it is brown and lumpy.
1: It's a steak and kidney pie boba. Very nutritious.
0: Oh. Oh. Well, I like the boba part. But who told you to drink a steak and kidney...
1: Who advised me to drink this? Why, Professor Von Cadbury. You did, didn't you, Professor?
0: Oh, so you're taking dietary advice from a monkey.
1: Hush, Dickie. He's very sensitive about the M-O-N-K-E-E part. What's that, Professor? Oh, it's M-O-N-K-E-Y. Thank you.
0: So, uh, how exactly do you make a steak and kidney pie boba? And by the way, for our listeners, there seems to be a marsh fog hovering over it.
1: Well, what you do is you stuff a steak and kidney pie, two raw onions, a bottle of Jack Daniels, and a garden gnome into a blender and run it on high until the paint peels off your walls. Ew. Yes. And then you throw that in. Ugh. That way you get the lead your body needs.
0: Oh. Oh. Well, you're braver than I am.
1: So what's on the agenda, Dickie?
0: Well, today we're doing something a little different from our usual full-scale musical melodrama.
1: Yes?
0: Yes. We're here to talk about the awful, inglorious, undignified, and often idiotic ways people have transitioned from this world onto the next. It's
1: good to hear you've been using your thesaurus, Dickie.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, we'll be looking at curious catastrophes from the Victorian era. Excellent. Excellent. Well, yes, and I'm glad you're enjoying that. While we're on the subject of drinking questionable lumpy brown beverages, let's start with our first vignette, shall we? We'll call this "Mm, Don't Drink the Questionable Lumpy Brown Beverage.
1: Uh Uh-oh, this doesn't sound good. Oh, it isn't. Maybe even a bit disgusting.
0: Oh, it is. So, anyone who has been to London knows what a beautiful city it is, with its mix of historical landmarks, gorgeous parks, and fantastic architecture.
1: Oh, yes. I adore that city. The West End. Piccadilly.
0: But it wasn't always that way.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Must we?
0: In the summer of 1858, there was a thing called the Great Stink. (laughs) Oh,
1: that's what I called my first husband.
0: First, let me... (laughs) First, let me say that in 1844, in the U.K., there was a piece of legislation called the Building Act. The Building Act ensured that all new buildings had to be connected to a sewer, not a cesspool. And And the government set about connecting cesspools to sewers, or removing them altogether. But really, the sewage system was pretty inadequate, and human waste ended up on the banks of the Thames River, as did slaughterhouse debris... And chemical waste from factories. And so, in the summer of 1858, in a particularly warm June and July, all that effluence cooked and steamed and percolated oh. into a oh. bubbling brown froth that was most assuredly not a delicious steak and kidney pie boba.
1: Stop!
0: With lead flakes. Although it probably looked just like it. Oh. <laughs> Of course, the Thames was the local source for drinking and bathing and for clothes washing. So, you can only imagine the London locals standing there in their tainted clothing, gazing at the cup of brown, foul-smelling, lumpy water they were about to drink, mentally balancing their thirst with their repulsion. Of course, either way, they were doomed, since the polluted water carried cholera, although nobody knew it. In fact, there were three cholera and typhoid outbreaks at the time. There was one in 1848, which killed more than 6,000 people, and then again in 1853, which killed more than 10,000.
1: Oh dear, how scary. I can't imagine the panic those Londoners must have felt, not knowing what was wiping out their families and neighbors. I mean, imagine this many people dying in your own city in a short time. At the hands of an unknown killer. That must have been so dramatic.
0: Yes, and by the way, it wasn't totally uncommon for poorer people to keep their dead ones in their homes until the corpse could be taken away. Family members, including children, would sometimes sleep in the bed next to the deceased.
1: Yes, totally traumatized.
0: But anyway, back to the River Thames. In 1855... A scientist who went to inspect the river wrote a letter to the Times, in which he said Near the bridges, the feculents rolled up in clouds so dense that they were visible at the surface.
1: Clouds of feculence, Dickie.
0: Clouds, clouds of feculence just floating above the river.
1: Ugh Feculence. I'm done with this boba. Well maybe just one more sip. <sniffs>
0: Eventually, scientists figured out that the water was to blame and a new sewage system was commissioned. It was finished in 1865, and waterborne diseases were mostly wiped
1: out. Very good. Now, let's move on to something a bit more dignified. Okay. You had said something about exploding toilets.
0: Oh, yes. Before the new sewage lines were built... Many homes had what was called a water closet, which they also called an ash pit privy. And there were these men whose job it was to empty those so-called ash pits. But still, methane gas and hydrogen sulfide clouds, generated by human waste, would accumulate. And before anybody could figure out that this might be the cause, a number of people were horribly burned or even killed by exploding toilets.
1: Really now?
0: Yes. Now, picture yourself attending a high society ball in the satin ball gown you commissioned all the way
1: from Paris. Oh, is Sippy Jr. doing sound effects?
0: Yes, he is.
1: Hello, Sippy.
0: Hello, Auntie. Nice to
1: see you, darling.
0: Nice to see you, Anty. So, anyway, you've just finished waltzing around the ballroom with a handsome young soldier and you're craving a smoke. So you bat your eyes from behind your embroidered fan as you excuse yourself. Pardon, monsieur, Pardon, monsieur. you say. I must powder I must my nose.
1: powder my nose.
0: <laughs> you go down the hall and you lock yourself in a privy.
1: Tra-la-la, life is but a dream.
0: You sit down on the seat in your satin hoop skirt and prepare to have a furtive smoke. You have no idea methane gas and hydrogen chloride are leaking up from the ash pit.
1: What could that be?
0: No, no, you don't smell it. That's the whole point.
1: Oh, all right. Some enchanted evening, a stranger walks my way. Ooh, la, 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 la. You strike a match
0: on the wall. It won't light.
1: He loves me.
0: You try lighting it again.
1: He loves me not.
0: Still no light. You reach between your bosoms.
1: Bosoms, Dickie?
0: Bosom. And you pull out a fresh match. You scrape it on the wall. And the moment you do...
1: He loves me. (laughs) Well, that's an evening to remember.
0: Eventually, somebody figured out a simple way to keep the methane from leaking back into the house.
1: Problem solved. That's lovely. But how do you wash feculence out of a ball gown?
0: Mm, Well, I, um, take it down to the River Thames and beat it on a rock. I don't know.
1: Just beat the feculence out of it. Is that right?
0: Um, well, I... uh...
1: I see. Sippy dear, do you have a sound effect for beating the Feculence out of a ball gown?
0: Uh, let me see here. Okay, that's evocative. So, speaking of... So, speaking of brown liquid, there was a sudden and deadly flood that occurred in the 19th century, the Great Beer Flood of 1814.
1: Really now?
0: It was the 17th of October, 1814. I take you now to the Horseshoe Brewery, which was located at the corner of Tottenham Court and Great Russell Street in London. The area at that time was mm, less on the affluent side, with tall, poorly constructed, crowded flats with people hanging their wash out the windows and barefoot children playing in the alleyways. And tattered old women selling flowers stolen from the nearby graveyard.
1: Carnations carnations. And there were
0: gap-toothed ladies of the night Cornations. haunting the dark doorways.
1: Hi there honey. How about a
0: little female company, honey?
1: Well, now it's very different, isn't it? It's very fashionable. You'd never know about the stolen flowers and all of it.
0: Yes. so the brewery stood on the corner where the Dominion Theater now stands. And it had a very big fermentation tank that towered over the narrow street and its occupants. It was 22 feet high, so imagine it being four times as tall as you are. Quite high. Oh. This tank was held together with several huge iron rings that encircled it like belts. And inside were more than 3,500 barrels of brown porter ale. Well, on one balmy afternoon in October of 1814, everyone in the nearby vicinity heard a loud crack. It was an iron ring giving way, and while everybody heard it, nobody really thought about it or what it meant. I mean, there were the children playing and vendors calling out. And an organ grinder with his dancing monkey, uh, M-O-N-K-E-Y.
1: So everybody continued dining and dancing, unaware that they had hit an iceberg.
0: Well, so you're thinking about the Titanic, but same idea. Pressure continued to build on the several remaining rings until an hour later, when a crack was heard again. and then another, and another. The iron rings had all ruptured, and suddenly the hot, fermenting, bubbling ale burst from the vat in a giant, towering explosion. The blast was so powerful, it destroyed the back wall of the building that supported it. Not only that, but the force tore open several more giant vats, which added their frothing contents to the flood, which burst onto the narrow streets. Oh. We're looking at a tsunami of more than 320,000 gallons of beer rushing down a narrow, watertight, cobblestone street with tall buildings. So it was basically a giant waterslide, but without the element of fun. The wave of beer and debris was 15 feet high, and it washed everybody away. Those poor people. It filled the basement of two row houses, causing them to collapse. Several of the occupants who were going about their lives having tea, well, they were killed immediately. In another house, there was a wake being held for a two-year-old boy who had died the day before. There were four mourners in attendance, and they were all killed. The beer tsunami also destroyed the wall of a nearby pub trapping a teenage barmaid named Eleanor Cooper in the rubble. At the end of it, eight people were killed, with a number of people being pulled from the waist-high flood and from the rubble.
1: Terrible. Just terrible. How awful.
0: Well, as you might imagine, hundreds of people rushed to the area with buckets and cans and in the middle of all the destruction they greedily scooped up all the beer they could manage. Some people just jumped in and started drinking it. So what started as a catastrophe morphed into a scene of sheer lunacy with fistfights and drunken brawls. One of these revelers even died from alcohol poisoning. The stench of beer permeated the area for many months afterwards.
1: How awful.
0: Oh, but there's a bit more to the story.
1: Oh, there is?
0: This was a very poor area of London. And just to show how destitute these unfortunate people were, some relatives resorted to exhibiting the corpses of their loved ones for an entrance fee.
1: I can't imagine why people would want to see that.
0: Well, different era, no Disney Plus. And I'm sure there are people nowadays who would pay to see these poor victims. So, anyway, in one home, the macabre exhibition was so heavily attended that the floor of the house collapsed under the weight of all the visitors, plunging them all into a beer-flooded cellar.
1: Served them right, Dickie.
0: Now, sometimes catastrophes happen by accident, and sometimes it's due to negligence, stupidity, or, as we're going to see in this final segment, from simple misinformation. There was this lady named Mrs. Beaton who... Well, I would honestly like to just take her out to the woodshed for a whooping, to be honest with you, just because of all the needless death and destruction she caused. Mrs. Beaton dispensed household advice from her popular 1861 book, Mrs. Beaton's Household Management, and she contributed to some awful consequences— The first was advising mothers to add alum to bread, which was supposed to add body and whiteness to bread, but which actually poisoned children who ate it, since it's an inedible substance derived from aluminum.
1: What?
0: Yes, well, don't be so surprised. Her dietary advice resembles your beloved Professor Cadbury's, if you don't mind my saying so.
1: Oh, Now you've upset him, Dickie. Here, Professor, have a Jeffreys Cordial.
0: So, anyway, this caused symptoms such as constipation and diarrhea, which led to the deaths of many children. Really? Now, this Mrs. Beaton also advised mothers to refrain from washing out baby bottles, which at the time were already designed to promote sickness and death. You see, the bottles were already a problem in that they were very difficult to clean. They were shaped like banjos, with a bulb connected to a narrow neck. Later on, they became known as murder bottles. And it's thanks to Mrs. Beaton that that nickname came into being. Although they were marketed with names like the Alexandria, or the Little Cherub, or Mommy's Darling, or the Princess, which all sounded very safe and harmless.
1: So they were difficult to clean.
0: Yes, because of how they were designed. See, there was a rubber tube running from the nipple to the bottom of the bottle, and this was the perfect atmosphere for bacteria to thrive. Mrs. Beaton wrote in her book that it wasn't necessary to wash the nipple apparatus for two or three weeks. And as if that weren't bad enough, Mrs. Beaton advised mothers to add boracic acid to children's milk.
1: Why on earth would they add a known poison to their milk?
0: Well, it was believed that since it disguised the sour taste of old milk that it was actually purifying it.
1: Wrong.
0: Wrong. Mrs. Beaton told her readers that this was quite a harmless addition, quote-unquote. But she was wrong. Tiny amounts of boracic acid can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. Oh, but it gets worse. This was the era before pasteurization, so milk often contained bovine TB, and this flourished in the milk that now tasted normal. Bovine TB wrecks the internal organs and the bones of the spine, leading to severe spinal deformities. Up to half a million children died from bovine TB from milk in the Victorian age.
1: Half a million? Thank you, Mrs. Beaton.
0: But you know, Mrs. Badger... The manufacturers continued to sell these bottles, and parents bought them, even though they were recognized as dangerous and condemned by doctors. It's no wonder one-fifth of Victorian children never made it past the age of two.
1: You're kidding.
0: Kids had it tough. And by the way, children were often turned into opium addicts by their parents. Dickie, you're
1: kidding.
0: No, I'm not. Oftentimes, noisy and rambunctious children and Babies who were teething were given something called Jeffrey's cordial, and there was also Dalby's carminative. These were tinctures of opium, and it made youngsters easy to manage, but only because they were drugged into a catatonic state.
1: What about overdoses? I mean, they were children.
0: Well, those were pretty common, sorry to say. In 1854, it's estimated that in Britain... Three-quarters of all deaths attributed to opium were children under the age of five.
1: Well, that's very, very sad. Maybe we should stop here, Dickie. Thank goodness we've gotten smarter as a species.
0: Mm, I'm not so sure about that. We might have even gotten stupider. Do you know that, according to one worldwide monitoring source... One person dies every four and a half seconds from a tobacco-related disease? Oh? Like we don't know what smoking leads to. And it's estimated that more than a dozen people die each year from a vending machine falling over on them when they shake it to recover their money.
1: Oh! Step away from the vending machine!
0: Step away! And these gender-reveal parties, sometimes those are terrible disasters, too causing injuries and fires that spread for thousands of acres.
1: Yes, let's move on to other things, shall we, Dickie?
0: Yes, let's do. Let's tell everybody about our upcoming radio drama.
1: Excellent idea.
0: It's called Jiggled to Death, the story of Victorian killer Mary Piercy.
1: And it's gruesome, gruesome. Is it gruesome, Dickie?
0: Mm, not really, But it is lurid and a little bawdy.
1: Well, that's something. I can hardly wait.
0: Well, you're in it.
1: Oh, delightful.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. (coughs) Mrs. Badger, was that you?
1: I beg your pardon?
0: This has been County Morgue Puppet Theater. Written and produced by Charles Yarborough. With Madly Badger and the County Morgue Community Players. Sound effects by Sippy Badger Jr. This podcast is made possible by a grant from the Velveteen Turtle Foundation. Here's a list of our sources. HistoryDaily.org, Feeding Bottles of the Victorian Era. babybottle museumcouk Murder Bottles Bustle.com That's B-U-S-T-L-E Unbelievable Ways People Have Actually Died in History Mentalfloss.com Victorian Ways to Die Pediatrics.aapublications.org slash content slash 45 slash 6 slash 1011 Historic-UK.com The London Beer Flood of 1814 and bbc.com